chapter 7. And I entitled it Faithfulness. Fruitfulness. Sorry, fruitfulness. I just went blurry there. Fruitfulness. The key point, I believe, that summarizes this chapter is the statement made by Willard, Dallas Willard, the author of The Hearing God. He says this, It is through the action of the word of God upon us, throughout us, and with us that we come to have the mind of Christ and thus to live fully in the kingdom of God, i.e. to live an eternal kind of life. In other words, Wilder is saying that we are citizens who have eternal life, and so we have to live an eternal kind of life because that's who we are, and that's how others will know we are not of this world. We are different. We belong to Jesus. Now, just a little tidbit of information. If you've been reading this book, uh, I just gave the summary to my group, is that from chapters 1 to 3, you would notice that it's more about an argument why it is important to listen to God. Okay? Right? You guys got that, kind of, when you were reading chapters 1 to 3? Then from chapters 4 to 7, which includes this week, it's all about how do we prepare our hearts to receive from God what he has to say. You follow? 4 to 7 is all about preparing our hearts, preparing our minds. And then the last two chapters, which will be going on the next two weeks, is about now how do we listen? How can we tell that that voice is actually God's voice? So if you're excited to know more about that, come next week. But this week, we're on the final chapter of how to prepare our hearts to listen to God. All right, but what is this word of God that we've been talking about? What are some examples of evidence that we are living an eternal kind of life? What does it look like to have the action of the word of God upon us, throughout us, and with us, that we come to have the mind of Christ? So Willard continues and maps out his task, right, for those who read the chapter, by asking several questions. And he goes like this, but what is the process by what is the process by which we can be fully transformed into the children of light, into blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world, holding fast to the word of life? How are we to understand the ongoing process by which our present life is to be redeemed, shaped, and conformed to the likeness of the Son? And what is the role of this word of God in this process? To unpack this, passage today that I'll be using a passage that I found in John 15. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John 15. Verse 1 to 17. So I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. John chapter 15, verse 1 to 17. All right. I'll read. You guys can follow. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Now, if, you don't, if you're, you're actually reading a Bible, like the physical one, highlight that. Okay? Highlight that. Anytime you see the word remain, highlight it. But for those who are on your phones that are way too expensive to be scratched up, don't worry. Just make a note. No. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, notice why it's important to highlight this. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands as you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of God. Now, so let's work on this passage, section by section. As we, and as we go along, for those of you who might have read the chapter, you might have noticed that I already put in the uh, various points that Willard made into these sections. Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken. What is this word? Now, is it our Bible? Well, not the phone, because that never existed in the first century. But you don't know what the Bible, the NIV or ESV or whatever Bible you hold. Is it the Bible? Is he talking about the Bible? Not really. Because really, first century, that never existed back then. The only thing that existed was probably a few scrolls, Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc. But the actual whole Bible did not exist. So what is this word? So we could continue on and say, okay, John, is it the law and the prophets? Maybe, but not really again, because what did Jesus say about the law and prophets? He is there to fulfill them. So he's not referring to that word either. So what is this word? How do we define word, especially in John? Well, luckily for us, John, the author of John, gave us a hint. What is it? It's found in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. I know, I just dated myself with that poster, right? That picture? Anyway. All right, John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, who's he? Jesus was with God in the beginning. So if you think about it, Jesus is the Word. God, Word, Jesus, Word. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Conclusion, God himself is the word. So everything, every single time you hit the word word in John, remember this, it's God and it's Jesus. God himself is the word and so is Jesus, which means that the word we are talking about is embodied. It's not scribbles, it's not scrolls, it's not fonts, it's not grammatical errors and punctuations. It's flesh. It's the spirit. It's God himself, God's existence and the entire kingdom of his. The word is the father, the word is the son, the word is the Holy Spirit. The word sustains life, the word gives life, the word sustains this world that we live on. The word sustains you and me each day so that we miraculously wake up every morning. The word is the light of all mankind which darkness cannot overcome. The word, without the word, nothing is made. In this word is life, and this word is the light. Jesus, therefore, in John chapter 15, 
is just basically re reiterating that every human being, all of life, depends on him for survival. Now, whether we are merely using him as a Duracell battery to sustain our life or actually allowing him to remain in me, in us, and we remain in him to live an eternal kind of life, we will explain later. But for now, the principle of this is this. The word sustains all physical life. Without him, nothing can survive. What does that mean to us? What's the implications? You could be either Christian or not. You could be a bad branch or a good branch. You could be bearing fruit or not. You're still being sustained by Jesus. You could hate Jesus all your life. You could be an atheist. But Jesus still sustains your life. Regardless. Non-discriminatory. So what does it mean when Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken? Well, throughout Jesus' ministry, we know that one is clean when they believe in him and his life-giving measures of the gospel, right? Think of the paralyzed guy who was lowered down. What did he first say? Your sins are forgiven, you are clean, right? Well, throughout Jesus' ministry, clean means believing in him. Therefore, we need to believe that Jesus is the word that sustains all physical life. That's his testimony. We believe, when we believe that Jesus sustains all physical life, we are called clean. Science, you, you might ask John, okay, how about science? How about medicine? How about the evidence that we all have? That is actually just like the Bible. Humans' best understanding and the best attempt in describing the word. You follow? The words of the Bible science and medicine, all the evidence that we have so far to uncover the mysteries of how we stay alive. That's man's, humankind's best ability to explain how, on, uh, to explain it and describe this word, the word that sustains life. No words can describe God. We, you, we you do our humanly best possible to try to explain it, and that's what you have in front of you called the Bible. Okay, so we believe, so we believe, but is, is that all? Is that all to life, to just believe? As I mentioned before, we don't just exist to treat Jesus like a never-ending power source, like a Duracell battery, to keep our life going. No, Jesus gave us a mission statement right in the beginning of his teaching moment with this. John chapter 15, verse one to two. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears, no, that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. We are to bear fruit. That's our mission. Jesus gave it right there. What's your purpose in life? Bear fruit. All right? If you ever like, uh, debate whether what's, the, what's God's will for you, bear fruit. There you go. We are to bear fruit. But how do we bear fruit? And what is this fruit we are talking about? Oh, and before we move on to talk about this fruit, notice that Jesus said that even if we do bear fruit and are obedient to his commands, God still prunes us to be even more fruitful. Now, I read in this um, Facebook post by a friend, and uh, he posted an article from his, his friend who recently lost her daughter to leukemia, uh, eight-year-old daughter to leukemia. And uh, she's a Christian, and uh, what she wrote was her journal, a page of her offer journal, 
saying, uh, just describing how she's navigating with this loss. Navigating with God, debating with God, talking to God. And she concluded with this one sentence that really hit home for me. God will take us through the fiery furnace so that we have fiery faith. God will take us through the fiery furnace so that we have fiery faith. I believe that it runs well with this, uh, with what Jesus says about pruning. God will take us through pruning so that we have fruitful faith. You follow? All right. Well, this is not the first time that Jesus mentioned the word fruit. We're going to talk about fruit here. The Greek word for fruit is carpus and crop and harvest. Is, they're all used in the same word, fruit. Um, and uh, fruit, crop, and harvest, that's carpus. So in John, because if you ever do a Bible study on John, you have to let John explain John. So you have to read John to explain that verse in John. All right, that's enough. All right, so we have to look up, okay, where else have we seen fruit or harvest in John? John chapter 4, verse 34 to 36. He says this, my food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Carpus. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvest fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Now, if you don't know the story surrounding this passage, this was the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And when the Samaritans were coming out of the town to meet Jesus because of the woman's testimony, Jesus told his disciples to open their eyes and look at the fields. Look at the fruit. What is this fruit? The fruit that drew people to Jesus. The fruit is not the people per se. The fruit was actually the testimony of the Samaritan woman. The fruit of the, the testimony of the Samaritan woman of her encounter with Jesus. What did she say? Look, this man told me everything of who I am and what I did. People noticed her changed life. People noticed her changed perspective. People noticed her newfound savior and her joy finding all of the above. The fruit was her testimony that drew people to Jesus. John chapter 4, verse 38 to 39. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of the labor. Many of the Samaritans from the that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Jesus done all the work to give the Samaritan the encounter of her lifetime. Jesus did a lot of work for you, each of you to encounter him. Agree? And for that woman's testimony, the Samaritans believed. Question for all of us then. If you truly have an encounter with Jesus, is your testimony believable? Again, it challenges me as well. If we truly encounter Jesus, is our testimony believable? Or do people around us, like our friends and family, to see us and say, yeah, okay, glad that you found something that made you happy. Do they see the fruit in us? Do they see that, um, that our fruit is drawing them to Jesus? Our testimony is drawing them to Jesus. Do our friends, 
our relatives, our spouses, our parents, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our coworkers. You know, have we, when we say, I'm a Christian, would they be shocked and say, you are? Or would they say, yeah, I kind of had a funny feeling you were. So how do we do it? How do we be fruitful then? Well, if you're aware, it's tough. It's really tough. I'm a Strata Council president, and some of you saw my post. Um, I had to change like 19 units light bulbs in like yesterday in the rain. And uh, you know, it's like just uh, because I was convicted like Johnny, God told me, this is how you love your neighbors, change light bulbs. And then hand out those parking passes to all 56 units, even though they reject you sometimes. Right? You know, that type of thing. It's hard work. It takes a lot of effort. But Jesus knew that. And what did he say in John chapter 15, verse 4? Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus mentions the word remain in how many times? Seven. If you highlight it and kept count. It was seven times in this chapter, which means if you have been with me long enough, any Bible study that you ever do, if you see a word that repeats itself so many times, it means it's important. And you should just stop what you're doing and just look at that word. Right? So, remaining is seven times. All right? So, let's, uh, and so we'll get into that. We'll look into that. But Jesus said, take this so seriously, folks, that he says, brothers and sisters, take this remain seriously. Why? This is how serious I am going to be. I'm going to make a bold promise for you. If you remain... Look at verse 7 and 16. If you remain, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. That's how serious Jesus is in this whole remaining business. Remain in me, and I am promised that whatever you wish, it will be done for you. And then he doesn't just do this once. He does this twice. Look, in verse 16, what does he say? If you, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that... Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Twice. That's how serious he is with this remain. We better be uh, waking up to this. So there's something about remain. Well, definitely remain is not just attached like a leech, right? Sucking blood, <laughs> you know, and then doing nothing for you. It's definitely not a parasite or, you know, uh, like a tick or heaven forbid a tapeworm. You know, like that just keeps on just sucking you, sucking you, sucking you. No, Jesus didn't say keep attached or stay connected. No, he didn't say that because there's a Greek word for that. No, because Jesus said remain, or if you have another version of the Bible, he says abide. Well, let's take a look at this remain. Remain in me, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. What else? Remain in my love, remain in my love, remain in God's love. You follow? So what's the logic? Remain is the common word, but how do you remain? In Jesus, but Jesus is also love. Follow? Remain in Jesus, but remain in God's love. So how do you remain? Remain in God's love. You see that? That's, Jesus is brilliant when he teaches. This is the Jewish way of teaching, by the way. We have to use lo the logic sequences like that. So he goes on, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Interesting, right? For all of you who were born and raised in Christian homes, sometimes we are taught that in order to be good Christians, we need to obey the Ten Commandments. Obey your mom and dad. Do a lot of serving at church. Look pretty, you know, dress well. Don't have sex before marriage. Well, don't. But anyways, um, uh, like, spend money wisely, be frugal, study hard, you know, type of stuff, you know? Even go into worse, like, uh, I know some uh, faith communities, they would go into Levitical commands. Keep to the festivals, right? Keep to this and that, do this, do that. Is it really that? No. Jesus only gave us one command. One. What is it? Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. If we lay down our lives for others as Jesus did, we remain in him. We remain in his love. We will bear fruit. Which means our testimony will be a light that draws people to Jesus through our Jesus kind of love. Remember Jesus made that promise? Here it is again. Whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Second time, whatever you ask in my, father, my name of the Father will give you. However, that sounds great, doesn't it? Right? Who doesn't want that if-then clause? Jesus, wow, you mean that if I did something that you would give me everything that I want? Not exactly. Remember the premise. Love the way Jesus did. As E, lay your life down for others. So if that is your premise coming into your prayer request, what would you actually likely request for? Not for stuff that we want, but most likely your prayer would be, Lord, I request more wisdom on how I could love my neighbor better. Lord, how can I love my in-laws better? How can I love the friend or the coworker that's nasty better? How can I lay down my life for them who I don't like, who I cannot even love? Give me wisdom. You see? Jesus is smart. He didn't give us a if-then clause to get what we want. He actually laid out a whole premise that, no, in order to remain in me, you need to love the way I do. And whatever you wish will be greatly influenced by that. Okay. Before we go into the video, I got something to share, too. It's a little testimony. I was talking about the changing the light bulbs. Well, Annabelle and I, she was helping, my five-year-old daughter was helping me. She was like carrying this garbage bag around and I just kept on dumping stuff on top of her. And sometimes it landed on her head, sometimes you know, rebounded, but she was cool. She thought it was, everything was fun. Don't tell her otherwise, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right? So anyways, as I was uh, changing these light bulbs, a lot of dead people, quite a few people actually came and go, why are you doing this? You could have just, you know, spend the strata money, used up that, you know, a thousand bucks to pay for another guy to do it, right? And I would say, well, we don't, I, I really like, I care about, you know, uh, how much we spend because this is your money. And, uh, you know, we spend a lot on the snow shoveling, so I really wanted to still, who knows when it's going to snow again, right, to save that money. We spent $21,000 last year shoveling. And they go, but still, why are you doing this? You could have had somebody else. 
You know, you're spending so much time, energy, and it's costing you time and energy. Uh, like you went out shopping for these light bulbs in Home Depot and it came back. Why are you doing this? I said, because I love you guys. Then, one person came up to me and said, are you a Christian? And I go, yes, I am. I noticed. She's not a Christian, but she noticed. Is our life a testimony? And is our testimony believable? Anyway, let's show this video. What kind of love am I talking about? We talk about sacrificial love. Let's show this video, April, and see if it works. Open it. The decontamination process is not complete. You flood the whole compartment. The door's locked, sir. Danger. You saved the crew. He used what he wanted against us. That's a nice move. It is what you would have done. And this. This is what you would have done. It was only logical. I'm scared, Spock. Help me not be. How do you choose not to feel? I do not know. Right now, I am failing. I want you to know why I couldn't let you die. Why I went back for you. Because you are my friend. All right, 
you guys have seen this before, right? I, I heard some groans over at this side. They, they, likely they've seen it already, but this is a movie of Star Trek uh, Into the Darkness. And I don't know if you know the context of the movie, but the whole entire the subcontext was about uh, Spock not being emotional. Right? He didn't know what love was. He, was, uh, he says, love is like the only emotion thing I choose not to be. It's totally illogical, philosophical, stuff like that. And uh, I chose this scene because it was kind of like a, um, in order for people to know the love that we have from Jesus, you know, we talk about the testimony, about things that, you know, how do we portray that? Yeah, sure, we could talk to, like, we're blue in the face to describe it. But, however, I think what's really important is how we show it, how we make sacrifices. Now, I'm not telling everyone to die for somebody today, but I'm saying that that's the ideal, though, the mentality, to lay down our own interests and our self-interests for others. What's the toughest, I find, is that sometimes, especially when you're, <laughs> if you really want to know how to love your neighbor, be part of the Strata Council. Um, if you, like, it's, what's really tough is that whole principle of love your neighbor is when that person is so unlovable. Like, you, like they, they, they're obnoxious, they're hostile, they're prideful, they, they, they never seem to learn, uh, they'd rather talk more than they hear, you know, that type of people. I'm sure some of you have coworkers like that already, right? Unlovable. But when, you, when, when we are called, like Johnny said in his, in his worship, when we are called by God, and we are, this is our mission, is to lay down our lives for others, as we continue to have that heart of pursuit, God actually honors that too. Not necessarily the results. You may never see the results. You, this guy may just continue to use, mop the floor with you. All right? But God honors that heart of pursuit. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul said that because he knew that we will never get there until we're dead. Follow? But he says, God honors the heart of pursuit. Remember those promises? I believe that the two promises that when we remain in Jesus through our sacrificial love for others, when God sees our pursuit, we have two promises that are given to us and will continue on every day. We will bear fruit, i.e. people will be drawn to you towards Jesus, and we will remain in Jesus eternally. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is tough. It is so hard to love that person that's probably, that you probably implanted in our minds right now as I am speaking. There are probably individuals that we know, who we know, that we really can't love. But Lord, we know that you have called us to love them sacrificially to lay down our lives for them because you desire it and because your son did it for us. It costed his life to love us and you tell us to follow you and therefore it will cost us our lives to love others. Father, we, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I'm not perfect and they're not, we are all not perfect. We're not righteous in your eyes, but when we, are, when we have this heart of pursuit, you still honor it because you are a God of grace and mercy. You give us this promise that as we continue to pursue, let's have this heart of pursuit, that we will be fruitful, and most importantly, that we remain in you, and you remain in us. We thank you.